on TV, online and on your smartphone. This is Ticker News. Hey there folks, propaganda is not a new concept in warfare. The 21st century though, changing the way we connect and share disinformation. This isn't about Uncle Sam needs you, it's a story about how Ukraine is owning their own narrative. Ticker Today starts right now. Now from our headquarters at Ticker Park, this is Ticker Today. Okay, welcome. Nowhere has the use of propaganda been more prominent and prevalent than in wartime. Controlling the narrative and shaping people's perceptions of the conflict, very important when it comes to managing these conflicts. From Hollywood's production of wartime films to the rise of the internet, we are now seeing a war like no other. Right now, we're calling it the meme war, and its roots are buried in conflict. Let's take the war in Ukraine right now, for example. Sharing dark content on the web is just the beginning into how memes are being used for political purposes. So who's the audience for these memes? What is the message and what are the events that drive the production of these sorts of images? The Brookings Institute is a US-based think tank seeking to unearth some of the answers to some of these questions. Dr. Lushenko is a US Army Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel uh, who's worked on this study and joins us now. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me uh, this evening, this morning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what types of memes have you been looking at? Talk to us about that. Well, before we dive into the scope of this study, I think it's important to clarify what, in fact, a meme is, because there's not consensus within the literature, within policy making circles about what this actually means. And so I, a meme is something that, for me, achieves three important criteria. First is that it's relatively simple, which explains why these so-called memes are often presented in graphical uh, form. Second is that it graphs onto uh, culture to include key informal and formal norms or standards of behavior that shape how people operate within a particular political community or political communities. And finally is that these memes are relatively humorous or sarcastic to achieve what is known as everyday resistance against oppressors or in the context of, let's say, an unlawful intervention like is taking place uh, in Ukraine. And how powerful are these sorts of images? So this is an empirical question that we study within the Brookings Institute study that you referenced. And what we find is really four key findings. The first is that these memes are often not used in isolation from military operations, whether it be the siege on Kiev or the battle for Maripol. In other words, they're complementary of so-called hard power. They play a supporting role. The second issue that we find as well, or key finding, is that memes are not as distinct form of diplomacy or, or management of social relations, but often what happens is that they follow key diplomatic initiatives, whether it be the state visit by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to the United States or the application for ascension to NATO by Sweden and Finland. We also find that there's a diverse array of audiences for these memes. It can be Ukrainians themselves to bolster public support within a, a constituency, a, a state, uh, it can be uh, Russians to include soldiers, but also their family members. And then over time, finally, we've seen that these memes have ebbed and flowed. There was a surge 
initially with the intervention of Russia and Ukraine, and this has tapered off over time. And I think the key takeaway here is that these memes are crowdsourced, they're informal, they're not centralized at the state level by Ukrainian intelligence services, the military, uh, or the presidency itself. You look back at the World War as the U.S. Army made their way through, pushing through uh, into uh, the Walt Disney Studios, where they were making a very strong point uh, that they wanted to control the narrative. How have things changed since then? Again, an empirical question, and the study that we provide is an initial stab at this. And I think one way to tackle this question, because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the implications of memes for strategic war outcomes, is to understand the specific purposes of these memes. There's really three overall purposes of these memes. One is to protect, one is to infect, and one is to treat. And this typology is really drawn from epidemiology, which understands memes as a form is almost a pseudobiology, but the protection form of memes is really to inoculate a state from misinformation and disinformation, whether it be during the 2020 presidential election in the United States or Russian narrative building within Ukraine. Uh, the infect is just that. It's designed to allow a state to inject its own narrative vis-a-vis an adversarial state. So in this case, Ukraine to Russia. And finally, the treat is designed to manage the consequences of memes within an ongoing conflict, whether informal or formal. And so this would be the counter messaging that's taken place to um, manage the risks of misinformation and disinformation that's used to delegitimize, um, let's say, state institutions and their ability to protect and provide for different citizens. Who is most likely to be targeted here, would you say? Would it be uh, the locals? Would it be foreigners? Or is it all of the above? It's all of the above. And this is what makes understanding the implications of so-called mimetic warfare in terms of the modern battlefield so challenging is that you really have to take a, di a look at different use cases of these memes to understand the potential implications and the so-called effectiveness of them on the battlefield. And so in the Brookings piece, what we do is take a look at four or five different types of memes that are designed to target Ukrainian citizens to bolster public support for the war effort, because we know that over time, there is a certain degree of fatigue that sets in, especially due to casualties of one's own soldiers. The other sort of audience here would be the adversary. So Russians themselves, uh, based upon poor battlefield outcomes, and also importantly, the families of Russian soldiers who are so important to the durability of a war outcome going forward. I also may add that the um, expatriate community is a really important target audience to not only bolster public narrative and opinion on the um, uh, war itself, but also to uh, garner support, uh, material support. You know, I live in Ithaca, New York, which has a large Ukrainian diaspora, which has been targeted by these memes one way or another, and as a result is continuing to send war material, body armor, medical aid and supplies to the front lines. 
The Soviet Union was always fantastic when it came to propaganda and fantastic when it came to owning the message. Are you surprised that in many ways Ukraine has been able to outmaneuver Russia in this one? Russia has been very strong at propaganda. You look at things like Russia Today RT over the past 20 years, which has been pushing the message of the Russian government as well as their media agencies. How did Ukraine beat Russia at their own game? Or is it because we're more willing to listen? That's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I have the data to answer um, accurately. What, what I do know is that this is not a one-sided love affair. What has happened uh, when Ukraine has issued memes is just the same from the Russian side um, as well. And I think the larger outcome here is that you don't have to be um, right all the time. Um, one successful meme will do a lot to undermine the legitimacy of a war effort and seed doubt, which potentially explains the way that Russia has been so successful, uh, as far as we know, in terms of delegitimizing sort of the integrity of the US presidential election. I will add, however, you're right on the point that the state level resources thrown by Russia against this line of effort of memes um, was uh, onset much earlier than took place in Ukraine. Uh, and they likely have a lot more resources based upon a professionalization that's taken place over time, as you noted, since World War II, if not before. Yeah, very much. And the way that that has been used for quite some time, uh, as I mentioned, by the US military and, and all different countries when it comes to that. We are talking with Paul Lushenko about the war in Ukraine, about the use of propaganda. But after the break, we're going to talk about how Ukraine is making sure it owns the message and some of the trouble that some journalists have been finding themselves in as well. Amaran Young, do stay with us. <music> 